Hey there streamers, I'm still trying to put some distance between me and the evil voice and Ragnarok's cabin was just not quite far enough for me. So I kept traveling out into the woods and I ended up at this place called Lake Nowhere. I mean hey, middle of nowhere, that ought to be far enough away from the evil voice in my head, right? So I'm just gonna get myself settled in, pop in a movie, and enjoy the bloodstream. Oh, there's nowhere you can go that's far enough away from us, Jason. We're always with you. Welcome aboard streamers, you are listening to The Bloodstream, episode 38, and I am your host, Jason Gray. This is the show where I watch the bad movies so you don't have to. On this week's episode, I'm still kinda taking a bit of a break and wanted to do another short movie, and I kinda got pointed in the direction of something called Lake Nowhere. It sounded interesting, had some fun gimmicks to it, the trailer looked good, and that's really all I need to sit down and watch a movie. Heck, that's more than enough usually. So thanks to Casey for finding this on Shudder, telling me about it, and thankfully it was also on Amazon Prime where I got to watch it and experience this movie. But that's more than enough rambling, let's get into the synopsis for this. When a group of friends arrive at a desolate lakeside cabin, they are stalked and murdered by a masked maniac whose lust for blood transcends our world. This age-old tale of senseless slaughter quickly spirals into the realm of supernatural horror and classic monster movies, as we learn the true power that lies within Lake Nowhere. Guys, I have a lot of fun doing the synopsis voice, and that one was a blast. But real facts, folks, that synopsis is almost longer than the entire movie, but it's fairly accurate, maybe a little more coherent than the actual plot of the movie, but I'll get into that later. For now, I'm going to take a break, play the trailer, and I'll be back in about 30 seconds. Welcome to Lake Nowhere. Something is watching you. Something is waiting for you. Something has a taste for death. Lake Nowhere, you won't get out alive. Gotta say, that is easily one of the best, most atmospheric trailers I've had in a while. And it is a wonderful throwback to that style of late 70s trailers. This starts off interestingly. It's presented as an old VHS tape, and they really nail the look and sounds of it all with the tracking, the on-screen displays, stuff like that. We get a bunch of fake trailers and commercials, and it's almost like the tape has been recorded over and over and over several times. As you get fragments of this, fragments of that, different start points for when the tape was put back in to record over whatever was on it last. They're actually pretty good trailers, I'd probably watch a few of the ones presented here. They're actually well made, but 
since the fake trailers don't really add anything to the actual plot of Lake Nowhere, there's no real reason to get into the details of them, and they'll be a fun surprise when you go and watch it for yourself. In the actual Lake Nowhere movie, being presented as a lost artifact from the 70s or early 80s, it's the usual setup of a group of friends driving up in their car to the cabin in the woods. You've seen it a hundred times, we've done it a couple times on the show, we just did it last week. Okay, that cabin wasn't so much abandoned, but you get the idea. We go through the usual cabin in the woods stuff of them getting settled in, there's some chopping wood, going swimming, going skinny dipping as a matter of fact. Bonnie takes the dog out for a walk and to do some exploring. She comes across a gravestone, reads it out loud, and that's the first clip. Why? Why do we read everything aloud in these movies? To the memory of Tha Thomas D. Caswell. 1793. In prayer prone before my king, I bend to him my face and knee. My soul his sacrifice shall be, my blood his liquid offering. Very cool. Finally, we get to see someone watching the Skinny Dipper, and Danny lets out a scream. Which everyone back at the cabin hears, but they brush it off as just, oh, the water must be very, very cold. Later that night, they realize, hey, wait, Danny still hasn't come back from his swim. Maybe we should go looking for him. So a few head outside to scream into the woods to see if they can get his attention while the others get drunk and or high. We spend a lot of time, probably too much, watching this group get drunk and high before a few people split off to go have sex, or get some sleep, or grab a shower in Bonnie's case. Which is when the movie sneaks in its required bit of gratuitous nudity, as the killer sneaks up on the window to watch Bonnie take her shower, and we get a little bit more of it with the group having sex, naturally. Suddenly there's this strange howling demon wind or something, and at the sound of it, everyone turns to give it a listen, including the killer, so he's in for some surprises. The door opens up, and hey, Danny finally returns from his swim in the next clip. Now I'm gonna probably drop some acid yeah, before I went swimming like a freaking idiot. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go find him another blanket. I guess he'll be okay, right? Everyone follows Danny's lead and heads to bed. In the middle of the night, Bonnie hears something and wakes up. And she gets a good glimpse of Danny chowing down on some poor animal. Uh, guys, I don't think Danny's gonna be just sleeping this one off. She attacks him, he attacks back rather violently, and bashes her head against the wall roughly 427 times, until her face should be nothing more than just a fine red mist. Huh, I thought she was gonna be our lead. Kudos unsurprisingly, I guess. I mean, she's actually somehow not dead from all that, but that's still a kind of surprising way to go with things. Gary runs in and shoots Danny before he can do any more damage, and whew, I am so glad that's over with. I am certain the threat of Danny is at an end. They try to get Bonnie to the car to get her to a hospital because her face no longer exists, but they can't seem to find the keys. One of the others takes Danny's midnight snack off into the woods to get rid of it, and oh hey, remember the creepy masked guy that's been watching them waiting to start killing them? Yeah, he finally remembers to come into the movie and get started on doing that. Gary goes to hotwire the car and actually gets it started. And oh yeah, Danny's kinda sitting up in the background. When Gary comes in to tell everyone, hey, the car's started, let's get out of here, he finds undead Danny having a bit of a snack on the others. He picks up a small hand-sized hatchet, buries it in Danny's face, but the guy just keeps coming. Everyone but Bonnie gets to the car because they kinda forgot her in their haste, so Gary starts to head back to the cabin to grab her, and that's when the killer shows up with a full-sized axe all his own. When bullets fail to have any effect on the approaching killer, he shows Gary how to use a real axe and lops off his head with ease. With ease and a whole lot of spraying blood. Meanwhile, back in the cabin, undead naked zombie Danny with a hatchet buried in his face is struggling with mummy-wrapped, half-blind, hamburger-headed Bonnie. And meanwhile, the two that actually made it to the car say, fuck this, we're out, and drive off. But they come across a tree in the road because of course they do, and one of them gets out of the car to take care of it. The killer who is not Danny, because I feel like I have to specify these things now, appears behind them, and he kind of forgot that cars can go in reverse, and he gets run over. But much like every other person in this movie, he refuses to stay dead, and comes after the girls in the car. They ram him going forward this time, and continue along, suddenly having no problem with the tree that was supposedly in the road. But there's now a killer on top of the car, and that's the problem they should be dealing with. The killer's blade easily slices through the roof of the car, and the skull of the girl behind the steering wheel. The car crashes, and the other girl hits her head. When she comes to, the sun has come up, and the car has somehow managed to get back to the cabin. Because reality does not matter in this movie. I'm going to get into this a bit later, but I just want to say I hate when movies do stuff like that, and basically say, oh, it's supposed to be made in the 70s, they didn't care back then, neither do we. They cared back then, they made errors, yeah, but... When you use it as an excuse for lazy filmmaking, it bugs me. The killer is gathering up the bodies and dragging them all down to the shore of the lake, including the still shambling around Danny, and the hatchet falls out of his face. The lone survivor picks it up, and immediately drops it when she remembers that she was taught how to properly chop wood with a real axe at the start of the movie. So she grabs that axe and goes to bury the hatchet in the killer, or she's about to because as she starts to bring the axe down, the killer grabs the axe and rams a knife into her head. So, um, huh. Everyone's dead except for the killer. We watch him get the last of the bodies down to the lake, and he starts putting coins on all their eyes, like in the old myths to pay the ferryman Charon. 
Then he takes each body in turn and puts it into the lake. Until only Bonnie is left, who is miraculously still alive, and and probably doesn't have to do a whole lot of work to play dead at this point. As the killer approaches, she repeats what she read off the tombstone at the start of the movie, and the killer frustratedly throws his knife into the dirt and wanders into the lake, where a bunch of hands grab him and claim him for the deep. And somehow the movie is not actually over yet as Bonnie heads to the lake, has some weird visions as she touches the water, walks a little ways out into the water, turns to the camera, and... credits. Huh. Again. So, um, that was Camp Nowhere, and that's kinda exactly where it went. You can kinda hear a bit of confusion and frustration in my voice at this point, but at the end of the day, that was short, but a whole lot of fun, but there's not a whole lot going on. You might have noticed there's only two clips in this entire episode, because people kinda stopped talking aside from stuff like get out, run, move, stuff like that, after everyone got drunk. This movie is packed with long stretches of running, screaming, and panicking. But hey, I was entertained. Much like Ragnarok's Cabin, the plot doesn't make a lick of sense. The VHS-ness of it doesn't really add anything to the movie, aside from some aesthetic choices, and they pad out the runtime a bit by 5 or 10 minutes with the fake trailers at the start of everything. It's ultimately just a gimmick to push the nostalgia button, and serves no real purpose. At most, it makes the creators think they have an excuse to not make sense. Because they can say things like they were just homaging the 70s and 80s movies where things didn't make sense. Well, I'm sorry to say, but the logic about not having story logic, because that's how they did it in the 80s, frankly, I just find that to be lazy writing. And wow, this whole spiel is making me come off way harsher than I actually am about this movie. It just, decisions like that frustrate me with the creators seeming to think it gives them license to just do whatever and throw logic out the window, and not care about the finer details of telling a coherent story. And yes, I am looking straight at you every grindhouse homage made in the last 10 years. But let me get in the good things about this movie. The acting is pretty decent, the effects are great, and I enjoy the little adventure we go on with this short. It's just good, solid, popcorn-y fun. It left me wishing they had done more, that they had polished things up a bit, but it's not really a bad sign to leave me wanting more. This is a solid idea that I really wish they'd expand upon and do a full-length movie, because there are a lot of little throwaway things that they could expand upon and actually explain the plot and have a coherent, full, complete story. This was a valiant effort that didn't hit a home run, probably a solid triple, and I am the last person that should be making sports metaphors, but I'm running with it, and really, they just cut corners where they didn't have to. Still, if you like classic 80s horror, and don't mind something that doesn't make a lick of sense at the end of the day, and is just out there having good, gory, violent fun, go give this a watch at 50 minutes. What have you got to lose? So that was episode 38 of The Bloodstream. If you have enjoyed listening to me yell at a movie for 30 minutes or so, you can go and listen to more episodes at our homepage, triskadecophiles.com slash TBS. Or you can easily subscribe to the show using any of your favorite podcatching clients, such as Apple Music, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or iHeartRadio. Just search for The Bloodstream, we're the podcast that's not about medicine. We have a Tumblr page where I post random stuff from time to time at thebloodstream.tumblr.com. You can also join the Facebook group where I like to keep everyone up to date with what's going on with the show. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you just have a movie you'd like me to check out, you can leave me a comment at any of those places and I'll see it, 
or you can just send me an email directly at phoenix, F-O-E-N-I-X, at gmail.com. That's phoenix with an F. So once again, I'd like to thank you for listening and leave you with these words of wisdom. If your skinny dipping friend lets out a scream, hey, go check that shit out. Because it might not be just because the water's cold. Take care, and keep streaming.
motherfucker.